Welcome back to the Hollow Sky Podcast. We are your hosts, Steven. And Kyle. And we are still here on Halloween, going in for episode number two. Let's go. And it is exceptionally late because, of course, we're not good at doing stuff on time. No. So, bear with us. Uh, I hope everybody had a safe and happy Halloween. The countdown to next Halloween begins because it's my favorite holiday. So, it is what it is. You got a long road ahead of you. Yeah, only 364 more days. That's not that bad. Nah, dog. I'm already ready for it. Um, I am going to bring us an episode on... It's not really paranormal, but it is a mystery. And there's some real Scooby-Doo weird shit going on in this mystery. It's kind of been circulated quite a bit it was even seen on unsolved mysteries but for those of you that don't know what i figure i put it out there tonight and we just have a run at it and see what goes down but before we get to that we got to get through the business so check us out at all our social medias facebook instagram twitter youtube uh search up hollow sky podcast and we'll be there come over hang out with us share memes share weird stories weird news articles uh just the whole nine yards uh, shout out to our YouTube channel. I know we just post the episodes up there, but it's been gaining a little bit of steam here and there. So that's kind of cool. It doesn't get a lot of love as much as the other ones, but we're trying. We're working on it. Uh, we have a Patreon set up. If anybody would like to support us that way, go to patreon.com slash holosky and you can sign up, check out the tiers, what we got to offer. And if you want some cool shit and some extra episodes here and there, sign up for that. Also, we have a Venmo set up at Hollow Sky Podcast. If you'd like to toss a little change into our monster donation fund and buy us a monster, that's how you do it. Um, if you have a listener encounter you would like to send out to us to get on a future episode, Kyle's going to tell you how to get it to us. You can write a story or you can record a story. And you can record stories with just about anything, especially if you have a smartphone. And then what you're going to do is you're going to send it over to the email. And the email is going to be holloskypodcast at gmail.com. Hell yeah, it is. Do work. If you listen to us on Apple or iTunes, uh, feel free to hop on over there and leave us a rating and review. Uh, we take any ratings and reviews uh, any constructive criticism, let us know what we're doing, what we need to change. But those five stars you shoot over, we will shout out on the show. It is really the best way to support the podcast. It helps us kind of move to the top and become more visible uh, when people are searching for paranormal podcasts or dope-ass shit. Today's uh, listener review comes to us from... <laughs> The Meat 22016. Hell yeah. The Meat says, five stars, proper dope. Chilled and weird podcast. Love the stories. Keep up the good work. Signed, The Meat. Gotta appreciate that. <laughs> it tells us like what country it comes from, and this uh, particular rating comes from Great Britain, so that's dope that people on the other side of the world take the time to come over and hang out with us. Right across the pond. The pond, which is an ocean, not a pond. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, feel free to hop on over there and do that. Now we have our listener experience of the day. This comes to us from our friend Mike from Florida. He uh, sent us a video, so we went ahead and pulled the audio from it to send it out. Um, I just want to shout out that if you guys, he, he does custom glass work. So if you guys want to check him out, check out his Instagram. It's uh, Matoa Glass on Instagram. I hope I pronounced that right. I'm sorry if I didn't. But if glasswork is your thing, definitely check him out and support him. Absolutely. So here is Mike's story. Yo, Hollow Skies podcast. Big up. Super entertaining. I'm just loving it. I just discovered it. I'm binge listening, and uh, I got a paranormal story to share with you. Picture it. Uh, Central Florida in a 100-year-old celery processing plant 
that's been converted into storage units and I'm there I got a workshop and it's you know early afternoon I'm doing a crossword puzzle there's no drinking or drugs is why I say crossword puzzle so you don't like misconstrue what's going on here and uh, and I just see out of the corner of my eye just a shadow man and I lift my head and he's running across the length of probably like a 30 foot unit you know just the length of the wall and he just runs right across the wall and I stand up and I walk over I have a big refrigerator box where I'm keeping empty cans for the recycling value and I pull the box back from the wall as if I'm going to see there's no door there's nothing in the corner there's nothing there it's just a, just the corner of the warehouse and uh you know and I, I say to myself what did I even walk over here for like I'm going to see something I go back to my I go back to the table go back to the crossword puzzle and um and I I just continue to you know look for seven across or whatever Knock on the door probably 10 minutes later, and my best buddy Wilbur, who's renting a unit two doors down, he's in a band. And so they're, like, insulated. They got double walls, so there's no windows or anything. Like, I have a little bit of air space I can come through, and I thought, oh, maybe a car drove by, you know, like a, like a you know, like casting a strange shadow, you know, like a, a Pluto, <laughs> you know, like casting shadows in the wall. <laughs> so, um... He says, hey, Mike, you know, how you doing today, man? Oh, good, Wilbur, what's up, bro? Uh, it's nothing. It's hymns and haws for a second. And uh, does he see anything? Uh, like, it, it, what's going on today, you know? It, 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 do you see, like, anything, like, out of the ordinary? Like, I mean, like, I mean, like, you know, like a ghost or something. And I said, did you just see the shadow man? And he says, I, dude, I came over here specifically to ask if you just saw a shadow man run through your warehouse. And I was like, Oh bro, you're kidding. We're not, we're nor He's got a family. He's got kids. I've got a job. We're normal people. Never. We're not like looking for Bigfoot. We're normal people. So he sits down and I, 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 I said, bro, did I tell him what I just told you, you know, and he, he says, man, the same exact thing that he just saw. And, and, you know, to me, it wasn't like, uh, you know, malevolent. He looked like he had a place to go. Like he was in a hurry. Like he was cutting through on his way to somewhere. And boom, I mean, across the wall. And I mean, he was cutting through like it was like he meant business. It was really something. And so uh, we still talk about it. You know what I mean? Whatever. You know, it was just, man. And we've never had another experience like that and normally you would see something like that and you'd forget it for forever you just brush it off you'd you'd just say oh i saw something out of the corner of my eye and just leave it be but when somebody comes to validate you in what you just saw i mean it really makes you wonder what type of universe we're living in and uh that there's more going on than we possibly could understand hollow sky podcast big up i'm super enjoying it thanks so much for the time and uh really appreciate it see you guys mike thank you so much for submitting your story uh i loved it you painted a vivid picture of the background and the encounter and it's just an all-around dope-ass story as a person who deals has dealt with kind of the same phenomenon like I've mentioned it before on the podcast about something maybe being in my house like I see it out of the corner of my eye the thing in my house it almost seems residual it moves the same uh, direction every time I see it so I'm wondering if I know you stated that you hadn't seen anything before maybe kind of keep an eye out to see if you see it again to where you can kind of tell if it's intellectual or if it's residual. Because 
the way you stated it, it's walking with a purpose. Like it has somewhere to be. Could have been part of that uh, celery plant that was there prior to the storage units. Yeah, that's an old ass building. Yeah, a lot of history there. You know, maybe uh, something. One of the machines were fucking up, and he was running to, <laughs> get to the fix fuck it. Out of there, or to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> Either way, like you said, he had a place to be, and he was busting through walls and everything else to get there. Yep. Yeah, it's a dope story. I love that. Oh, yeah. I love that your buddy cor- corroborated it because he saw it too. Like anytime there's multiple witnesses, it definitely adds adds a whole other layer to the encounter. Next time you see him, just yell at him to slow down and see if he slows down. <laughs> <laughs> see if he acknowledges you. That, he might be telling his ghost buddies like, "Yo, that I saw would this be human." So fucked up. I saw this human doing a crossword puzzle. And, or or if he's running by and old Mike's like, hey, slow down. And he's like, sorry. Just, <laughs> just replies sorry on. as he keeps running. Yeah. Man, that's dope. That is a cool story, though. But yeah, thanks, thanks, Mike, for taking the time to send that in and being such an avid supporter of the podcast. It's, yeah, we appreciate it. You're awesome. Um, if anyone else has a story that they would like to submit in a future episode, you know what to do. Let's go. So now we're getting into the meat of the episode today. I am bringing you the case of the Circleville Letters, which it kind of is similar to the Watcher mystery we had, the House Watcher. Yeah. You guys recall that one where the creepers keeping an eye on the house? It's like that, only it's exponentially bigger and it's... It's got all these twists and turns, and it's just a whole fucking thing. I know a lot of podcasts have covered it, especially true crime and paranormal ones. There isn't really an aspect of the paranormal, so to speak, in this case, but just the the mystery behind it, I figured that I would share it with everyone. So... As I stated before, it's even been on Unsolved Mysteries, which I think it was the first place that I'd ever seen it, probably in the mid-90s, because... Oh, so it's old school yeah, Unsolved Mysteries. I, I thought maybe we were talking on the new school uh, OG, Unsolved Mysteries. OG Unsolved Mysteries. Right on, right on. So the story takes place in 1976 in Circleville, Ohio. Uh, Circleville is kind of just your regular run-of-the-mill town. Nothing really stand out about it, except its claim to fame is the the Circleville Pumpkin Show, which kind of is cool because it's Halloween. Interesting. It's considered to be the largest pumpkin festival in the U.S. That's so, uh, Shout out strange. to the pumpkins in Circleville, which they're probably having a good time now, maybe. I'm sure they are. <laughs> Our two key figures to start out with is uh, Mr. and Mrs. Gillespie, Mary and her husband Ron. Mary's just an unassuming woman, really. She is a housewife, or she's a wife and a mother, and she works as a school bus driver with the Westfall School District. One fateful morning, that all changed as Mary went out to get the mail. She noticed a letter that was addressed to her but had no return address. Little did she know that opening this letter would basically be the first shot of uh, the campaign of a psychological terrorist who would just wreak havoc on not only Mary's family, but the whole fucking town. In the letter, the anonymous writer accused Mary of having an ongoing affair with the superintendent of the school district in which she was employed, Mr. Gordon Massey. The writer stated that he'd been watching Mary, keeping an eye on her home. He knew that she had a husband as 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 well as children, and he demanded that she end the affair. Uh, It's noted that the handwriting was odd. It was all capital and in block letters. This is an excerpt from the initial initial letter that Mary received. It says, stay away from Massey. Don't lie when questioned about knowing him. I know where you live and I've been observing your house. I know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon. That sounds a little (laughs) ominous. Pretty fucking ominous, right? Yeah. At this so, point, it sounds like an angry woman writing the letter. Right? That's it. Like maybe a jealous one or something like that. It it just, just it gets better. Good. This absolutely terrified Mary, but thinking that it may be a prank from a coworker or something, she decided to keep it from her husband. 
so she did not come forward admitting to the affair. This did not sit well sucks. with the writer. So not soon afterward, her husband, Ron, received a letter of his own from the anonymous letter writer. Uh, the writer warned Ron that if he didn't inform the Westfall School Board of his wife's illicit affair with the superintendent, he would be killed. Upon reading this letter, Ron was understandably perturbed. So he confronted his wife about it, and she denied ever having an affair. So the Glispies got together, and they're not sure what they want to do at this point. Uh, being from a small town, they didn't want the rumor mill to start flying, and the supposed affair between her and the superintendent to get out and just, you know, essentially ruin a bunch of people's fucking yeah, lives. that's exactly what would happen in a small town. Yeah, that's, I mean... You could you could almost feel it going on in our small town. Right, yeah. So they decided to keep the letters between them for the time being. They're just going to, they're like, all right, let's just sit it out, see what happens, and we'll just play it by ear. Again, wrong answer. For about two weeks, everything was silent. They hoped that, again, it was just a tasteless prank that had blown over, but this was all shattered when more letters starting arriving at their home. And this time, that the anonymous writer kind of amped up his onslaught toward this family. The writer is now threatening to go public with the alleged affair, stating that if Mary didn't end her relationship with the superintendent, he would share information not only townwide with posters and billboards, but he would also broadcast it throughout the local CBS TV station. He also referred to Ron as a pig for not coming forward and helping in the affair. So either this person has a lot of smoke to blow or they've got a lot of money to blow. Yes. Or yeah, they are a prominent they could be a prominent member of Yeah, when you're talking about billboards and stuff, that's, that's not cheap. Yeah, unless like you said, it's just a, a power move like True. are they yeah. going to call my bluff? At this point Ron and Mary still aren't sure what to do, but Mary begins to believe she might know who's sending the letters. So they decide to share their plight with Ron's sister, Karen, her husband, Paul Freshour, and Paul's sister. Note these names, because they're going to come back in a little bit. Mary believed the writer could be a work colleague and fellow bus driver, David Longberry. Longberry had recently made romantic advances toward Mary, and he became irritated when she denied said advances. They decided at that point that Paul, the brother-in-law, would write a letter to Longberry telling him that they knew he was behind the letters and demanding that he stop writing them at once. For a while, it seemed like they had their culprit. Weeks went by, and they didn't get any new letters. So they kind of figured, hey, Longberry did it. We've kind of scared him off into the back into the fray, and we're just going to let it blow over. Right. Forget it ever happened. At this point, the writer decided not to respond with letters, but to ramp up the torture. The torture. Huge signs started to appear around town claiming that the superintendent, Mr. Massey, had been having a sexual relationship with the Glispie's 12-year-old daughter. Oh. Yeah. Because, okay, that's a curveball. Yeah. It was supposed to be about an affair with the wife. Now it's involving a 12-year-old. So it's almost like Mary isn't the, the big target here. You know, because now yeah. they're accusing the superintendent yeah, so of being the a superintendent, pedophile. superintendent, that yes. seems to be the main target. The new wave of attacks just horrified the family. And I feel so bad for the dad. He got so upset about it and felt so helpless to protect his family and his daughter's name. He would get up hours early before work and drive the streets around town, taking the signs down to try to spare her grief at her uh, middle school. Man, fuck that. I would pay attention to where them signs are popping up. And if they were popping up in the same spots, or roughly the same spots, that's what I'd be doing in the middle of the night. I'd be out, staking out. Oh, dude, it gets gets worse for old Ron here. On August 19th, 1977, their phone rang. Ron answered the family's phone, and on the line was a menacing voice telling Ron that he knew the make and model of his truck and where he lived. Although the exact context of the conversation isn't clear, they don't know what was said between the two or who was on the other end, it's assumed that Ron recognized the voice and could not contain his anger any long. 
hell-bent on defending his family, Rob or Ron grabbed his gun, kissed his daughter goodbye, and sped off into the night. Oh, shit. A few minutes later, Ron's truck was found crashed at the end of the street with Ron dead behind the wheel. Holy fuck. So it just went from like... Ron about to smoke somebody to yeah. Ron getting smoked. To some archaic like cyber bullying before the internet was around to now you've got a dead you got a dead guy. So the town sheriff Dwight Radcliffe examined Ron's gun and realized that a single shot had been fired from the gun. But there was no evidence of anyone being shot at the crash site and it's reported that Ron didn't have any bullet wounds. The bullet as well as the casing was never found. Um, the coroner report was that Ron had died from severe internal injuries based on the wreck. Initially, Radcliffe believed that foul play could be involved, but then they received Ron's blood alcohol level, and it was 0.16, which is twice the legal limit. The sheriff then changed the cause of death to a drunk driving accident. Uh, considering the happenings of the prior year, the family was hesitant to accept the sheriff's cause of death. Ron, I mean, Ron definitely had reasons to drink if there ever was one. Right. Having a constant barrage against your family and and not being able to protect them, so to speak, and their, their name adds a lot of stress to your life. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I couldn't even fucking imagine it. No, that would be a horrible situation to be stuck in. Yeah. But the family was insistent that Ron was not a drinker, especially to uh, the point that he, uh, the point of his blood alcohol level, you know, where it's twice the legal limit. Okay, so that is a insane spin on the story. Then, if he's if they're telling the truth and he's not a drinker, yeah, which doesn't mean, you know, he he didn't get drunk. Yeah, because that's true too. He's had kind of a shitty year, but with the family being insistent that it didn't happen, you have to like, you have to take the weight of one toward the weight of the other. The sheriff claimed that a person of interest was taken in and interviewed regarding the strange nature in which Ron died, but he stated that the person passed the polygraph test, essentially eliminating said person as a suspect. It was never made clear who the sheriff interviewed. He would not state, but it is possible that it could have been Longbury. The old boy that wanted to shack up with Mary. Right. Unfortunately, Ron's pickup was taken to a junkyard in Ohio and no further investigation was done to the vehicle. Of course. Of course. After Ron's death. Now, this is where it gets even even fucking weird. More weird. After Ron's death, the writer released a bombardment of letters toward more residents of Circleville, now not limited to the Gillespie family. This time, he had multiple prominent member, members of Circleville in his sights. First being Sheriff Radcliffe, claiming a blatant cover-up of Ron's death, as well as a mishandling of an investigation of the Pickaway County coroner, Dr. Ray Carroll. That's the guy who uh, pronounced Ron dead. He had been accused, or the writer is accusing him of multiple sexual abuse, or sexual abuse of multiple children in and around Circleville. So this motherfucker's got a fetish for that. Dude, he, first off, if, if he's responsible for Ron's death, I mean, somehow, now he's calling out the sheriff. Yeah, and the coroner. Like, being like, yo, these guys, these guys are clearly covering it up. So after they accused Ray Carroll, we're going back to the Glispies. Ron's sister Karen and Paul Freshour became separated after Paul discovered that his wife was cheating on him. These are the, these are, uh, it's Ron's sister and her husband that they went to first. Gotcha. They, they, that's who they confided in. Well, they're getting a divorce. Paul filed for the divorce, got full custody of their children, and Karen moved into a trailer in Mary's backyard. Keep that noted for later. So, here we go again. Ron's now dead. Mary's single. Mary sparks up a relationship with... No idea. The superintendent. Oh, weird. Gordon Massey. So that could almost lay claim that the notes were actually real then. Yes. Yes. Of course. 
Superintendent Gordon Massey. The whole this whole story began with I know you're having an affair with the superintendent. You need to stop. The whole time Ron was alive, she Mary mercilessly denied, was like, There's no way. Right. No way this was happening. Husband dies. She's like, Well, I am in a relationship with Gordon, who the letter writer adamantly told me not to. Yeah. But yeah. it only started after I got their letters. Sure. <laughs> That's it's literally what I got what I got wrote down in my notes. I said, sure. Right. <laughs> yeah, sure. So we don't I mean, you don't have a way to prove if Mary was telling the truth about the affair. Yeah, we do. But it's hella sus for her to be shacking up with the superintendent. Yeah. Especially not, after the situation. Yeah. Like, come the fuck on. Not only after being warned by psycho letter writer. But your husband perished. But your husband fucking died because of it. Yeah. And now she's like, you know what? This might be fucking you good know, idea. Uh, superintendent. I mean, he's pretty good looking. So the the onslaught continues. More and more letters are being sent all over not only Circleville, but all of Pickaway County as well. More and more signs started appearing along Mary's bus route, popping up, talking about the daughter, talking about the superintendent, all this like crazy shit. On February 7th, 1983, Mary noticed a particularly vulgar sign involving her daughter, and Mary had had enough. She stopped her bus and hopped out to tear down the sign, as she and her former husband had done many times before. This sign was different than the others. The sign had a small piece of twine attached to it. Luckily, no Mary noticed the twine before she tore down the sign and followed it to a nearby fence post, and on this fence post was attached a small box. Mary carefully opened the box, and to her horror, she found a small loaded twenty-five caliber pistol encased in styrofoam with twine wrapped around the trigger. Uh-oh. So this is some bogus fucking M MacGyver bullshit booby trap put together. Like, we're going to tie a rope to the trigger and tie the trigger to the sign and hope that she pulls it off. You're a gun guy. You think that work? Probably not. How much pressure do you do you need to pull a trigger? Mm, usually a couple pounds. Yeah. You'd have to give her a good old tug. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the thought that counts, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking when I was writing this. I'm like, what a fucking bogus ass. They tried. It's like you literally do like you like order a booby trap on Wish and this is what you get. <laughs> it's just dog shit. So essentially hoping Mary would yank the sign down hard enough to pull the trigger, therefore shooting her. Hey, Hollow Colt. The weather's getting nice, and you know what that means. It's cryptid hunting season. And the first rule to cryptid hunting is good footwear. That's why we're excited to announce our partnership with Tacovis Boots. When you're out hunting the dogman or stalking Chupacabra, you don't have time to break in boots. That's why Tacovis is so nice. They have first wear comfort. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with their styles when you're out hunting cryptids. And let me tell you, their styles are on point. I've always considered getting me a pair of snakeskin boots, and their pair is mint. They also have crocodile boots, caiman boots, ostrich boots, Regular leather boots, they they have it all, and it's re it's ridiculously awesome. You can even stop by their the local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in store experience like it. So just imagine yourself getting a pair of legitimate snakeskin hollow sky branded boots. How awesome would that be? Nothing is going to intimidate a dog man like a nice pair of gator skin boots. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mary turned the booby trap and gun over to the police. They initially noticed that someone, I'm assuming the half-ass builder of the booby trap, had also half-ass tried to rub the serial number off the gun. Sweet. But they didn't do it very well. 
Police ran the lab test and they easily pulled the serial numbers off the gun. Lo and behold, the gun came back to belonging to one Paul Freshour, the recently divorced ex-husband of Ron's sister, Karen. And Karen is conveniently living with Mary now. What a clusterfuck. <laughs> so while, or while living with Mary, Karen shared her thoughts that Paul may have been behind the letters, the phone calls, and the signs. Mary took this information as well as the booby trap and the gun to Sheriff Radcliffe, who called Paul into the station. He conducted what may be one of the dumbest shit handwriting tests I've ever seen in criminal justice. Sick. Like, it, it, like the whole town is just, I don't even know. So the sheriff gives Paul copies of the original letters, and he said, hey, can you copy these? Sick. <laughs> yeah. Can you, That's can you, genius. Can you write like this? That so Paul's like, genius. yeah, I'll try it. And, and he doesn't this, at the, all. And, oh, oh no. And the, the sheriff also is speaking words and phrases and has Paul's write them to write them down. So afterwards, the sheriff asked Paul to show him where he normally kept his pistol. Paul states that he kept the pistol in the garage, but since he never used it, he didn't often check on it. And he did state that it had actually been stolen once before, but since he rarely checked it, he didn't realize it was missing. From there, they went to the local courthouse where, interestingly enough, since Paul copied the handwriting during his handwriting test, Radcliffe said, hey, we have enough evidence to charge you with attempted murder, dog. Awesome. So he just blackmailed him. <laughs> yeah. He just completely like, set him up. He's like, yo, copy this. So Paul's like, okay. <laughs> They're like, hey, Paul, is that your gun? He's like, yeah. But it's been, like, it's been stolen before. Good, good luck. Yeah, like you're going to prison, dude. You did it. So Paul was found guilty at trial and Holy received a shit. sentence of 7 to 25 years. Holy shit. So I found some some essential evidence of Paul's innocence that apparently was also overlooked. Paul's quoted to say that after he eventually was paroled, and I'll get to that in a little bit, but he was quoted to say that I can't blame the jury because the jury didn't hear all the evidence. I just can't believe it. I was really in a state of shock. So, for one, Radcliffe is kind of a fucking flake. Sounds like it. And almost almost flaky to the point of shady. Like he had told the press that Paul confessed to writing 40 of the 40 to 50 of the letters, which by this point over a thousand letters have been sent out. Holy shit. Like you think about it now. Like, that's way under swinging. Like, he only wrote 40 to 50 of them. We don't know who the other ones are. Yeah. And by the way, I completely set this guy up. <laughs> you know, hey. So like, cy- cyber bull- bullying now is so easy because yeah. all you got to do is, like, type shit. To do, to do shit to this magnitude, you have to put some time and effort into it. Yeah, you got to be insane. And not only put signs out, rig booby traps and all this other shit. So, Paul adamantly denied ever ever stating that he ever even said that. And he's like, if this if I made this confession to the sheriff, why in the fuck didn't the sheriff record it? Yeah, touche. Yeah, so it's like, oh, well played. <laughs> Second piece of evidence. Paul's fingerprints were found nowhere on the gun, nowhere on the signs, nowhere on the booby trap components, and nowhere on any of the letters. But he copied the letter. Yeah, exactly like the cop told him. <laughs> yeah, so you're in prison. An investigation of Paul's house failed to turn up any corroborating evidence like ammo for the gun, material for making the signs, material for making the booby traps, or anything linked to the letters. <laughs> Top-notch police work, boys. So they actually had Mary testify that shortly after the divorce... Karen had confided in her that she believed Paul to be responsible for the letters received years prior. Paul's like, yo, if Karen really believed that I'd done all this shit, why didn't anybody bring it up in divorce court? I was clearly clobbering Karen in, in the divorce, gaining custody of the kids. All they would have had to say was, hey, this is the psychopath. 
stalking everybody, ruining everybody's lives. Not and that point. would be surefire ammunition for a divorce counsel. Absolutely. He would have been investigated right off the rip. He would have went to prison like he did, and she would have got the kids. Yeah. Um, Another one. Uh, granted, Paul wasn't working the day of the booby trap incident. He did have an alibi witness that placed him at his home between 1230 and 430, meaning that the sign would have had to been set up with the booby trap earlier in the morning. The prosecution responded with a surprise witness out of nowhere that testified that he saw the sign between 1130 and 12, but decided to not notify the police. Oh. There were also no other witnesses that came forward claiming to have seen the sign at that time, despite it being a well-traveled road and also a bus route for other buses. So one old boy saw it and was like, Holy yeah, shit. yeah, I saw it. But nobody else saw it. This town sucks. Dude, it does. Another one. Years after Paul was incarcerated, it's revealed that a key piece of evidence was left out of the trial. Just 20 minutes before Mary discovered the booby trap, another school bus driver driving the route did not see the sign or the trap, but did see a yellow El Camino parked at the spot where the booby trap was found, as well as a sandy-haired man that did not match Paul's description. But do you know whose description he did match? The dude Karen was dating and would eventually marry. And guess what kind of car Paul never owned? A yellow El Camino. But guess who did own a yellow El Camino? Karen's brother. Weird. <laughs> shoe prints were found at the scene of the booby trap, and they also did not match Paul's shoe size. Paul, you're going to prison. You got fucked, Paul. <laughs> really bad. <laughs> really, really fucking bad. So... They're assuming, they're like, all right, we got this crazy motherfucker locked up, right? These letters are going to stop. No, they're not. No, they're not. Paul was incarcerated at a prison in Lima. And soon after, the letters started again, all signed by the Circleville letter writer. Um, and not only were they just mailed to people in Pickaway County, now they're going all over central Ohio. Holy shit. There, he is ramping it the like fuck Like, how up. much free time does this motherfucker have on his hands? It's it's almost like, like he'll set one up, and then he'll go for whoever's going after him. Because in the new batch of letters, he targeted more individuals, including the prosecutor who's putting Paul in jail for shit that the letter writer is doing. The prosecutor, Roger Klein. The writer also promised to dig up the grave of a deceased infant and mail the bones to the police if they did not investigate Klein's role in the murder of a pregnant school teacher who, according to the writer, was pregnant with Klein's baby when Klein had her killed. It's not related to the central story, but it's still fucking nuts. That's pretty much a fucking understatement at this point. Dude, like like I don't I don't even like how oh man because like, if, if the dude's legit and it's not all just made up in his head, how in the fuck does he find all this stuff Dude, out? that's what I'm saying. So, even though the letters were postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, which is almost 100 miles away from Lima, where Paul is incarcerated, Sheriff Radcliffe becomes convinced that Paul is somehow sending the letters from prison. Of course he is. Why not? In response, Paul is placed in solitary confinement, denied access to writing materials, and constantly monitored, but the letters keep being sent. What in the fuck is... <laughs> why is this guy got it out for Paul so bad? What did he do? I have no fucking idea. Man, that guy... <laughs> even though the warden... I hope you became rich after this. Even though the warden at the goddamn prison maintained it was impossible for Paul to have sent the letters... He was denied his parole at his oh first hearing in December 1990 because the letters were still being oh. sent and harassing people. I'd have been like, yeah, I mean, since they took my writing material away and I'm in solitary, I do have a lot of free time to write people. Under constant surveillance. Yeah, I mean, I, that's all I have to do anymore is just to write people. You know what a kicker is? Paul died in prison. Oh, even better. Oh. A few days later, Paul gets a letter in prison from the letter writer. <laughs> oh, of course he did. Did the letter writer just be like, yo, yo <laughs> homie, I'm trying to make this right. Just give me a couple minutes. I got it. I got it. The letter states, fresh hour, 
Now, when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there? I told you two years ago. We set them up. They stay set up. Don't you listen at all? No one wants you out. No one. The joke is on you. Ha ha. Tell no one of this letter. I saw the paper. Great news. Great. The sheriff loved it. Ha ha. Do you believe it now? Do you? So in that letter there, the writer clarified something. He put we. Yeah. So now you can assume there is more than one person playing the games. Good. I'm glad that you caught that because in the first ones, he stated himself as I. Yeah. And a note that I didn't put in here, but I'm just thinking about from the research that I did, some of the letters that the Gillespie's got after the first barrage of letters had different handwriting. The handwriting was very significant but some of the handwriting was different. Yeah, that makes sense, especially that they would pick a general blocky style that is easily uh, copied, yeah. and then it could would also easily explain the mass amount of letters going out, and then the fact that they were setting up signs alongside writing letters and yada, yada, yada. Yes. Makes a lot more sense that there would be more than one person at play here. So this is kind of a little side note, but I feel like it needs to be told since we're talking about it. Ron had previously borrowed a typewriter from Paul. So after Ron died and Paul was incarcerated, Karen came over to get the typewriter back, stating that she didn't want to lose it in the divorce and this and that. So Mary, not really thinking anything of it, gives Karen the typewriter. Some of the letters that went out were written on a typewriter. Oh. Loophole again. Jesus fucking Christ. So Paul was eventually granted parole after spending 10 years in prison in May of 1994. I would have been rich as shit. Oh, dude. That whole town would have been. Yeah, I would have owned it. If I didn't write the letters before, then I would start writing motherfucking letters now. You better believe it. I would be loading up tons of gas cans. (laughs) If you put me in 10, 10 years in the pen and I didn't do anything and... Everyone except the sheriff and jury believes that I did nothing, but these select people are putting me away. Get the fuck out of here. I'm burning the town to the ground. I just like, oh my God, I don't even know. So he, okay. After he's granted parole, he gets the help of this investigative journalist, Martin Martin Yant, to kind of try to dig into what the fuck is going on. Yank gets a hold of Unsolved Mysteries and Unsolved Mysteries is like, yeah, we'll, we'll fucking air the case. We'll just get, we'll, Put it out to the whole fucking country. See what they're see what they're thinking. Please tell me, the spokesperson of Unsolved Mysteries got a letter. Oh, dog! Interestingly enough, why they're doing research for the episode, the office received an anonymous postcard signed by the letter writer. Good, good. <laughs> it states, "Forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. And if you come to Ohio, you El Sickos will pay." El Sickos. So now. <laughs> Now they are like white trash Mexicans. Dude, I'm, just, I'm like, I I don't even I I don't even know where the fuck this I is going. I feel like that is a word that I would have made up in sixth grade. El sickos, El sickos. Or, or some like like old granny like you sickos if you come over <laughs> here. Why? Like, are you trying to like? It, does is that person's she's, brain like she's you know trying what, to throw you know them what? off? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going with. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna I'll make write this them, letter in Spanish. I'm gonna make them think I'm Mexican by putting L <laughs> in front of sicko. It's just. It's. Oh my god. That is brilliant. Paul contacted the FBI in an attempt to clear his name, asking them to please look into Ron's death, but they ignored him. Of course they did. So Paul died in 2012, still proclaiming his innocence. I was going to say, Paul, just give up. Just stop. (laughs) Paul went to his grave believing that the attempted murder charge was just a frame job concocted by his ex-wife, essentially writing the coattails of the initial anonymous letter writer as revenge for their divorce. Um, In 1999, the suspected original letter writer, Longberry, became a wanted fugitive for raping an 11-year-old girl, essentially ended up committing suicide. So, the letter writer seemed to have a lot of information about a lot of people, but nobody could really corroborate it. Maybe it was one of them just psychopathic towns where people talk way too much. And the one dude caught way too much fucking information. So the letter writer 
was correct about the coroner, Ray Carroll, who he said had been accused of sexually abusing several children. Oh, that sucks. Right? In December of 1993, Carroll was charged with 12 counts, eight of them alleging the doctor of gross immorality, sex crimes, corruptions of a minor, pornography, obscenity, and indecent exposure. So he was spot on about that, bro. Well, he got that guy. <laughs> so if the writer was right about Carol, could he have been right about Klein and his... Uh, Klein was the prosecutor. His involvement with the murder teacher. I, I mean, I'm not ruling anything out at this point. <laughs> so I kind of put together a little what I think went down. So I'm thinking the OG letters, the very first letters, were written by Longbury. He was pissed that Mary wouldn't shack up with him, but did shack up with the superintendent, which clearly Mary was doing the whole time. Yeah. That's what set this whole thing off. That would make sense, especially if uh, the guy who was jelly found out about the superintendent, and he was like, wait a minute, you're going to fuck that dude. But you're not gonna fuck me. Yeah, because he was also a bus driver for the oh, district. Oh, well, there you go. So he, it's, yeah, it's he had the end. He had the end. So I think he was just like he just started out for some revenge, like probably primarily just to end their relationship, their affair. Right. But nobody, nobody did it. So he just kind of kept ramping it up. But from there, I feel like it just totally escalated out of control. So I think Ron suspected Longberry. After they made the initial phone calls to him, told him to chill the fuck out. Yeah. Recognized his voice on that phone call and having enough, he went after him and accidentally wrecked his car. I feel like that that wreck was just an unfortunate accident. Could have been. Because, I mean, as much as that would be a cool twist, well, not cool for him, but a conspiracy twist to the whole thing, I think that Ron had probably just got... T- like exhausted continuously defending his family's name probably threw back a few and fucking went out to fight and just didn't make yeah. the curve well and he took he took a gun and they said there was one round fired but judging by the quality of police work in this town <laughs> yeah. i'm going to assume that the gun actually didn't fire is that the fact that the gun was just already missing around to begin with or the the Fucking sheriff is such a sh- shitball policeman. If he lied to the press about Paul admitting to writing fifty of the letters, who's to say he didn't lie about there being a that's true show? That's true. I think after that initial barrage of letters and Ron dying, the letter just took a life of its own. I think that anyone in the town. That's exactly where I was going. It had a qualm with someone. Yep. Boom, letter went out. Boom, letter went out. And there, I mean, there could be fucking 50 letter writers. Well, I was. That are all just rolling. I was just sitting here thinking when you were. I'm like, I hope Steve's conclusion ends because I'm going to go. I hope this town is insane to the fucking max. Dude, that's and bad. after the first uh, letter writer accomplished their mission and. Like everybody in this town fucking secretly despises each other, and they're just like, you know what? I'm gonna fucking do it. And then the next person's like, fuck it, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, that's like I hate I hate Janice across the street. Her cookies suck, so I'm just gonna start writing her mean letters. Damn, the mailman goes to Janice's house every day at four o'clock. Yeah, why is he getting shitty cookies and I'm not getting anything? Time to write a letter. You know, I mean, that's that's exactly where my brain was going. Is that, but it almost it's almost like the town has to be legitimately insane, or just like like the last line I wrote is small town drama to the max. Yeah, I mean, because, I could see, but it's still that takes a level of insanity where people like. Could you imagine like living your day to day life and you're walking through town and you're like, hey Janice, hey Ralph. And then you go home and you're like, Janice is a fuck. I hate Ralph. I hate this fucking town. Janice is over there fucking Ralph. And the husband and wife don't know shit. And I'm I'm tired of it. <laughs> like that takes a level of insanity 
that I can't even comprehend. Yeah. And and the fact that it just wasn't even one person. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like the whole like every other house had to have somebody that was just oh just dude, what so if it was thriving on drama? Well, no, not because there was a dude. I was gonna say, what if it was like a woman's book club and they all just they just chatted and then one day they're like, just like let's let her rip <laughs> yeah right oh shit that'd be fucking crazy i mean either way it's a fucking crazy story the booby that, trap i think was just the booby trap played off the somebody signs watched macgyver or something OG. oh yeah Karen was behind that 100%. Probably. Yeah. 100% to frame Paul, who she's pissed off with anyway because he busted her having an affair. So she's pissed she got caught. Then he took her to the cleaners in the divorce and got the children. Yeah, so now, which is weird because he won. And then on top of that, I mean, yeah, that's going to piss her off a lot. Yeah. So, and you have all this evidence pointing toward the booby trap being set up by people Karen fucking know. Her boyfriend, future right. husband, and her brother. Who has a yellow El Camino. Yeah. And, the, and the, utterly and the, matched the description of the person. Yeah, the sandy-haired dude is the boyfriend. But, hey, uh, the shoe sizes weren't Paul's size, so he needs to go to prison. Yeah, I mean, he did copy the letter like the sheriff told him to. <laughs> right. So, like, I, like I said, like I said, literally a degree of insanity that I can't even comprehend. That's what I'm saying. When the sheriff blatantly goes, hey, copy this letter, dude. I want to see if you can write like this. And then you do it, and he's like, yeah, it's I've got a fucking a, match. We I've, got him, boys. I've got enough evidence to put you in prison. Good luck, dude. <laughs> like, the more... I, what cause the I'd, fuck? I'd heard the story before on Unsolved Mysteries. I remember watching it when I was little. Did, did the host just go, what in the fuck? He should have. I wish he would have, because it would have been the best episode ever. If he just, if they gave him the show notes and he goes, "What the fuck?" <laughs> He's like, "Is this is this where we're at now?" Yeah. The thing I'm not doing this episode. The thing that gets me is that so much time and effort was put forth, like writing uh, over a thousand letters. It has to be more than one person. Oh yeah, it has to be. If and not, it's somebody without a job sitting at home, and they are even then. I don't buy insanely spiteful. Yeah, even because then I can't. I can't. It's just low, way too much information. Because then you have time. to have time to go out and put the signs up yeah. around the bus. Like, yeah, because because they were doing it consistently every fucking day. Right. The dad was having to get up fucking three hours early and go pull signs down. Like, do if anybody's a real fucking victim, it's fucking Ron and the daughter. Yeah. Because they like, well, and Paul because he did ten years for no reason. Well, yeah, and Paul. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> my bad. He's like, dog. well, my shoes weren't the same size. <laughs> He's like, it wasn't me, and I didn't even own a car truck. <laughs> it wasn't me, and the sheriff's like, well, I found this old boy says it was you, dude. I mean, none of the evidence matches yeah. up. You're you were wearing the wrong shoes. You copied the letter because I told you to. You dyed your hair. You, yeah, you had different hair colors. You bought a banana yellow fucking El Camino. And when you were in prison, you were still writing letters from solitary <laughs> with no writing ability. He was using telepathy. Yeah, so, I mean, it's definitely... And the warden, he's on drugs. He's, I'm getting ready to put him in prison next <laughs> because he said you're innocent, so this isn't going to fly. I just... A degree of insanity that cannot be comprehended. It's almost, it's almost as if there are people in the town trying to right the wrongs by acting like the letter writer. Yeah, they're like, "Hey, after after it came out that oh Ron's crash was an accident, somebody somebody wrote a letter from the letter writer saying, "Yo, you need to check on the sheriff because he is fucking wrong." <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's too good. It's too good. And then the prosecutor prosecuted Ron. Or prosecuted Paul, put him in fucking prison. Yeah. And the letter is like, you need to check this motherfucking prosecutor out. Right. <laughs> He's dirty as a motherfucker. It's almost like there's two factions in the town yeah. battling one another via Paul, anonymous letter. Paul is going to prison, but the, the prosecutor, <laughs> he he's dirty. He, he's he's worthless. He fucking murdered the teacher. He's a he's a dark person. He he's not good at his job. He sets people up all the time. But except Paul, he definitely deserved to go to Paul. prison. Paul. And then what's even funnier is he got Paul got a fucking letter that says, "Ha, we set you up." 
and he's in prison, and I'm pretty sure that those <laughs> letters get read before they get given to the inmates. <laughs> They're just like, ah, fucking let, it, right? let it roll. Right? That's Dude. fucking, that's insane. <laughs> that is insane. Okay, so the population of Circleville is 13,000, which is not no, very small. big at all. I'm going to compare small. it to our population of our little town. I think. Yeah, it's about mm, not quite twice the size of our town. Yeah. But there is a fuck ton of nefarious shit going on in this little town. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. From the murdered teacher to the to the child molestation and shit. Like, what in the fuck is going on, Circleville? Hey, uh, Circleville, good luck. Dude, yeah, I, I hope you've had way. I think I hope you've all worked out your differences <laughs> and stopped writing letters. I hope they write. Now, us it, a now it's letter. just text messages. Just send us a letter. PO Box one forty five at Fielden six two zero three one. If you write, write us a letter. <laughs> if you write me a letter, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get on here on the podcast, and I'm literally just gonna go LOL <laughs> in block letters. In block letters, I don't oh, give a shit. God, dude. Write a fucking letter or not. I don't fucking care. Anybody that was around then probably isn't even around now. I'm just going to do an awesome <laughs> laugh. I'm going to go, ha, 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 LOL. ha, LOL. Now we're going to have our normal listeners writing us block letters, not yeah. us letters. I know, and they're going to be death threats, and the half of them are going to be like halfway on point enough to we're going to get paranoid. Yeah, and they're probably going to be just ridiculous. Well, I own a tank, so write me a letter. <laughs> So yeah, that's that. That's I'm glad I did this. I was on the fence. I'm like, it's not paranormal. Yeah. It's not really mystery, but it went the exact route that it, I hoped it would it's go. In, it's fucking insanity. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, my language has been extra colorful. <laughs> I am fucking tired. And this story, like I've said forty times already, is a a degree of insanity <laughs> that cannot be comprehended. Like so, I don't even, I don't even know. Like if I was a news reporter in this town, I'd just be like. I would just I would move. I'd, I'd just like, quit we, my job and leave. If I was a news if I was a journalist or news I'd be like, we need to check the water supply. <laughs> Something insane. If, if I was a fucking journalist, I'd be like, this shit is money, dog. <laughs> we need to sell this to the National Enquirer. We need books, we need TV shows, <laughs> movies, the whole nine. I want merch now. What a fucking disaster. Oh my god. So that's it. Circle that's the Circleville no. letter writer. There is no there's no answer. Nobody's no, because came forward. everybody in the town is guilty. No, because Paul's writing it from... He's <laughs> writing true. it from the I grave forgot. right now. I forgot. R.I.P. Paul. Yeah, I'm sorry, homie. <laughs> that would, sucks. Yeah. You should have just went ahead and bought a yellow fucking car truck and did some sweet car truck burnouts. <laughs> I'm just leaving it at small town drama to the max because that, that just puts everything in a nice little box and just wraps it up and then it mails it anonymously to everyone. I guess. I guess. Good luck. So, yeah, that's my story, and we're sticking to it. Uh, Check us out at all our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Come over and hang out with us. You know the drill. So until we meet again, stay safe, stay weird, and, God, if you're in a small town and it's drama to the max, do not take it upon yourself to write anonymous letters to everybody else in town. Please and thank you. That's what we have cell phones for now. Yeah. Text that shit anonymously. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.